This is the Reactive Attachment Disorder Podcast. I'm Tracy Turner Kaiser. I am a licensed professional counselor supervisor. I am in private practice at Full Circle Family Counseling in Pittsburgh, North Carolina, and I'm offering these podcasts to help parents, guardians, grandparents, teachers, anybody that might be interacting with a child with reactive attachment disorder. These podcasts are meant to put more tricks into your bag so that you have more skills in knowing how to handle children with reactive attachment disorder. These are hopefully going to help you not feel so alone in working with kids with reactive attachment disorder or parenting them. I'm hoping that these recordings and podcasts will help give you a little breathing space. Hi, and welcome everybody to the Rad Parenting Podcast. We are so excited for you to join us again today. With me, as always, we have Tracy Turner, uh, licensed clinical mental health counselor supervisor based out of Pittsburgh, North Carolina. And today we have a really special program. We have invited three moms, and we're going to discuss residential care and sort of some of the ramifications that come in with that and get some firsthand accounts and some some insights that maybe other parents could learn from, glean from if they're in similar situations. So first of all, thank you ladies for joining us. We're so excited to have you here. I'm really looking forward to the discussion today. What I would love to do is just go around and have you guys briefly introduce yourselves. Just tell us uh, first name. Uh, we are going to keep this confidential. So we're not going to use anybody's full names and we're not going to address the children's names uh, just so that the audience knows that. If you could just tell us your name, the age that you, your child was in residential care and maybe just a brief little synopsis, that would be great. And Laura, if we could start with you, I'd appreciate that. Hi, um, thank you for inviting me. My name is uh, Laura, as Holly said. I have a daughter, uh, several children, but my daughter adopted from Kazakhstan, went into a residential program at age uh, 17, and she was there for a year, almost exactly a year. And I'm not sure if you wanted me to go into details right now as to why, but it it was a successful program. We did send her to um, another state from where we lived and she was completely unplugged from all social media and basically contact except through letters or, or phone with us. Wonderful. Thank you. Sam, how about you, Samantha? Hi, I'm, I'm Samantha, as Holly has said. Um, my daughter is 15 now. Um, she's currently in residential treatment. She was 14 when we sent her. Um, she is out of state. Um, we sent her quite a ways away. Um, she's been there going on four months now and, and her program will, will most likely be up to a year. So far, it's been successful. Um, we're happy with what she's overcome so far, um, but she does have quite a ways to go. Wonderful. Thank you. And Nicole. Thanks. Yeah. So I have a son who was adopted from foster care at uh, 10, just almost 11, went into the first of what would be seven different residential um, treatments. The um, behaviors then were escalating violence, and um, we sought that uh, level of treatment. Um, And then um, there was a period of time uh, when he was not in, in that kind of treatment. And then at 15, almost 16, went into the next series of, of 
six different facilities in the course to his adulthood. Very good. Welcome, ladies. So the first thing that I'd really like to dive into is when is enough enough? At what point did you know or did somebody point out to you that residential treatment program was going to be the next choice for you and your child to go into? And uh, feel free, anybody to, to step up and volunteer for that one. Well, I can start at the youngest. Um, so at 10, having, having been in maybe five different schools within the school district um, and, and landed in a classroom of the seven uh, across the county, the seven boys that needed the most attention to emotional and behavioral disorders in their classroom. Um, and that in that classroom setting, not working, um, uh, sort of brought things on, not without the better part of three or four months worth of a wraparound team, just weekly, uh, eight to 10 people in our home working with us. And that was on top of you know, almost, almost all years having had therapy. So sort of maxing out the resources in the school district and within the um, social services and post-adoption services um, network. I, w- I can tell you, I didn't think it had been enough, <laughs> um, but, but that many people and that much sort of nowhere else to turn can can make it seem like, well, there is a next step for the child that's experiencing this. There is a pathway. There are, uh, there is a six month waiting period for these beds at that age too. There doesn't seem to be a pathway for anything else. This is the only pathway that light is being shown on. So. Yeah, that's a tricky component, isn't it, Nicole? Um, so I think that I'm wondering to hear from other moms just about that piece of, you know, resident, you know, the child can't be maintained at home. And yet when you go into residential care, sometimes they're not, you know, they're focusing more on just the behavioral issues and not necessarily what the underlying trauma events are that cause that. And it's a really tricky thing. It's not, there's no, it's a broken system on a lot of levels um, and trying to figure out how we can shed some light on what has worked, what hasn't worked, when, you know, when is enough is enough at home, how has residential care given you a break, um, potentially, possibly, right, or sometimes, you know, Nicole, you've, you've had, you know, you've had your child in several programs, and recognizing that every time that he returns back into the home, you know, things continue, you know, things are good for a period of time, and then they fall apart, um, so it's tricky piece. so... So I'd love to touch on that aspect of how difficult was it to find a facility that was would, could specifically treat a child with RAD? Did you, did you guys experience challenges with finding the right facility to send your child? Um, I know for, for our family, it, it took four months um, of searching. Um, we, Little Miss was exhausting all therapeutic needs here in our state. And we actually were going out of state to to meet with Tracy. And she was the first one to start suggesting that residential treatment might be an option for her. But it was finding one that our insurance would help with, one that we could afford, one that treated RAD. And so um, I went first to our insurance company and asked for a list of treatment centers that they would approve and kind of went down the list and, and called numerous locations and 
I was looking for keywords. I was looking for behavior management training and, and things like that. And, and I specifically wanted somebody that had training in RAD. Some of the facilities I was surprised to learn didn't have much of a clue <laughs> where RAD was concerned. And because Little Miss has a habit of making up stories and, and getting us as a family in trouble when things aren't going her way, I wanted to make sure that wherever she went, they could stop and go, wait, let's make sure that what she's saying is the truth before they drug the rest of the family into a trauma. So um, we, it took, like I said, three to four months to find that facility. And then it was another four weeks um, before a bed was available. We, when we started looking, I wasn't to my breaking point yet, but um, Tracy had mentioned that that probably was coming soon and to kind of be ready for it. And so all of the research we did ahead of time prepared us for when enough was enough. And we said, We're, we've got to do something. And so then the wait to get her into facility was only the four weeks. And that, I say only, but that's nothing compared to some of the other moms I've talked to. Yeah. Tracy, I'd love for you to chime in really quickly on what are some of the, I guess, um, characteristics of some families who are reaching that breaking point that you're able to identify to help step in and say, I think this might be a good choice for you. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, you know, I, it really is when they come in um, for an assessment and, you know, the first of all, I realize like, you know, something needs to happen here, right? We're getting to that point of the breaking point. And when mom's shaking in her boots, when my hair stands on my end, on, on end, um, and I'm recognizing that the level of tiptoeing around to not have this explosive behavior become destructive and um, create residual PTSD for everybody in the home. And then it's at this point, it's like, this is not productive to the child, to the family and to the milieu of the family. And mm -hmm. so therefore, sometimes residential programs are just a holding tank, right? We can put someone in a residential program where they're gonna be safe, the child's gonna be safe, they're gonna be well-maintained, their behavior, may not get addressed, but the containment of, of knowing, for the parents to know that they're in a safe environment and for the child to know that they're in a safe environment allows me to help the family reset and then reevaluate. Okay, what needs to ch shift and change? And we actually can actually make those changes take place. It's hard to do that when you're in the middle of chaos. So typically it is, um, when, uh, when, when the family is feeling so broken and they're kind of managing and they become isolated um, from each other, from friends, from supportive family, when the child, everybody's reacting to the child instead of the child responding to things. So, you know, either, any one of you can jump up and sort of say, you know, what was it for you that you kind of go, do I have permission to put my child in residential care? Cause I know that it can feel so horrifying at times. I feel like such a, like you're letting the child down, you're letting yourself down. There's a sense of failure sometimes. Um, um, am I making the right decision? Any one of you want to jump in and kind of speak to, to, um, I know yeah, I go ahead. <laughs> I know for our family, um, it, it was a difficult decision from the get go. Um, when, when we adopted Little Miss, she had already been in foster care, multiple home changes. And I had always told myself that we weren't going to give up. Um, we were going to do everything we could to, to get her where she needed to be. 
and she was she was four when we adopted her and we had a a long stretch of stability so we thought we were where we needed to be and, and things were good it wasn't until puberty hit that things exploded and they got volatile in the household and and since there there are four other children in the home we realized at some point that she was becoming a risk not only to herself and to my husband and I but also to the other children and it took for me um because I was I was not going to give up on her and I was putting all of my energy on her and not really focusing on the other children as much but when when she told me that she could take away everything I loved. And she, she glanced at the baby when she said that and the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I said, we, we can't do this anymore. I can't be afraid that she's going to hurt one of the little kids or she's going to hurt herself or she's gonna run away and never come back. And we realized we were holding our breath all the time and, and it, it became exhaustive. So when we finally chose the facility that we chose and we flew her out there um, it, it was the best, hardest decision we ever made. Um, my husband wasn't able to go with me. He stayed with the other children, but I took her by myself. And when I walked her in and we did the intake, there was a lot of emotions that kind of held it all together. She was just being very stoic. And then when I left the facility, knowing that she was going to be there and probably for the first time in, in 10 years, I was able to take a deep breath and know that I was going to be able to sleep that night. I just, I broke down crying, not because I was afraid of leaving her there, but because I felt a little bit of guilt, but then I also felt an immense sense of relief that I could regroup. I can be the mom that I wanted to be to the other kids while she was working on what she needed to. And that was hard. That was, that was huge for, for me to, to let that go. And like I said, she's only, she's only been there four or five months now. But the, the change that's occurring in the house since she's been gone has been astronomical. And, and I know it's because we made that decision. And again, it wasn't an easy decision. And I still feel a little guilty that I didn't dig down in the trenches even deeper and, and keep her here. But I also know that I, in order to save everybody else, I had to let her go, if that makes sense. Yeah. Laura, what about your experience making that decision? Uh, well, we did not send our daughter to a program that was known for treating RAD. Um, they have a lot of adopted kids in the program and some knowledge of it. But for us, our daughter was 17. So um, we made a call to the uh, residential program and within two weeks our daughter was there. We basically, uh, because of her age being 17, we were worried. We, we knew we needed to do something quickly and once she was 18 that was going to be a lot more difficult to, and this program wouldn't take kids that were 18. So we had a, sh a short amount of time. We were familiar with the program because they had a parenting side where they just educate parents with challenging kids and I'd listened and read all their materials for years. So we felt comfortable with who they were, never thinking we would need the residential side, but we did. But in a very short period of time, we found out about some substance abuse that we didn't know about that was getting worse. And our communication had completely broken down. 
And another big piece were the peers that were involved that were um, enabling our daughter to get to do stuff. And we couldn't control them and their households and their parents, obviously. So um, she, she was doing things like giving them her, her phone and they were pretending to be her and, and she was somewhere else. So there was also an individual which was very dangerous that she was getting involved with. And like Sam said, uh, we're seeing like behaviors in our other kids that weren't there before. So the whole family health was being impacted. Um, and, and really it was just the safety issues for our daughter. We were, we became really fearful in a very short period of time as we learned about some things going on. So for us, it was an easy, not an easy decision, but we, we weren't second guessing ourselves because we felt like it was our last option. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Nicole, anything you'd like to add on, on your decision to place your child in residential care? Um, most of them didn't feel like decisions, right? And sort of the metaphor I used for that first one, uh, when he was still so young and sort of like when you're, um, when the helicopter's already got its propeller spinning and you're supposed to get in the helicopter, hurry, jump in because it's about to take off or whatever. So um, th that, uh, but that first one really came six months after a acute inpatient hospital stay at 10 years old. So the social worker there said, you know, we'll probably see you back and you'll probably need this inpatient uh, longer term residential. And so we started the paperwork then with every intention of grabbing every other resource first. And then uh, uh, not unlike what you just heard, the, as, as a teenager trying to just, because that had, that had not been real successful, five months of that residential stay and, and, and the system saying, this isn't working, so he's coming home. We just resourced, I just resourced everything I could for the next three years. Um, but then when he was, or four years, when he was 15, finding the drug paraphernalia was, was a quick call to the closest residential facility because rad is one thing and having a child that's already medicated is one thing and then taking all that offline is, is sort of another. So um, finding facilities that can do both is almost negligible. And, and so they all either primary one, primarily focus on one or the other. Um, those decisions then happen <clears throat> um, just by, I need a bed, right? So he was three weeks in a facility that was not locked, ran from it needed a bed, which I had to find in a locked facility um, and then needed to be ambulance there. When they ran out insurance, he needed to come home. It's like a call, you know, tomorrow you're, you're bringing him home. And two weeks later of repetitive acute hospital stays and, and looking for something totally different. So out of state and um, totally nonverbal kind of therapies, all more wilderness and, and nonverbal arts approaches. And that works until it doesn't. And then you gotta come get him back and find a bed to fly him back to and so on uh, a couple more times, a couple more rounds. So the decisions are sort of, I mean, I guess, at some point, the decisions are about knowing the resources that are there. And, and really, sometimes they happen this way. It's sort of like there's only one bed. So that must be that must be mm -hmm. the decision, um, because we can't just say we want to wait four weeks for this other program because we might, you know, we might not have that opportunity. 
Right. Tracy, are there, for, for any other parents that are listening, are, are there things that they can talk to their therapist to, you know, to say, this might be a good thing for us or, you know, to get the therapist's help in that process? Is there, is there anything that you would recommend in the, the conversation during therapy? Yeah, it's, it's um, I, I would, and it's a tricky thing. And I, I wanted to just kind of acknowledge that, you know, with the three moms that we have here, it's like, we have three very different stories, right? And so, and, and, and uh, we have from Laura, you know, to at 17, you know, being able to find a program right away. And it's been, I think for your daughter, really successful. You know, she's now attending college and, you know, she's made, able to make that shift in a year's time. That's just kind of like the ideal situation um to samantha who's just you know your daughter's just you know is in four months into treatment um what you're noticing is that there's been such a shift in the home right that the home environment has improved so drastically so recognize that one child not her fault but her trauma can create so much chaos that no one's benefiting parents Correct. other kids even her are not benefiting um, and then Nicole, you know, your story where your child was so young coming in with so much uh, trauma and abuse that he just, he's gone from one program to the next, to the next, to the next, to this point where it's like being able, at this point, being able to kind of like, you know, uh, uh, you know, needing to like separate yourself from him. And that's a trick. That's a hard piece too. And I've had a lot of parents who just like, I, you know, it's to the child's benefit for me not to have any contact with this child. And that's a hard decision as well. So there's like three varying stories that are kind of the tip of the iceberg for so many families that are out there. Um, so I think it's I'm, I'm really appreciative that three of you are willing to share your story. I think my, you know, as a therapist, it's like, how do we recognize and how do we take assessments as therapists to kind of go, so, hmm, What's happening here, and how's how are how are people benefiting in the family? Um, to the point where you have to take into consideration every individual person, the relationship with each other person, is the is the child is the child with attachment disorder or with the trauma, and if you have other kids with trauma too, how how is how are how is their narrative affecting everybody else, which can create more trauma right? And keep that trauma alive. How is the milieu of the family affecting um, your own well-being? How is it affecting the, the spouses, the parents' relationship with each other? Um, and how is it affecting your relationship with the external world? School, um, other therapists, friends, your community, right? These all begin to fade and, and fray. Um, and so when these begin, these are signs to look for um, to kind of know that maybe residential care is not needed if we could address some of these things before we get there, right? And sometimes residential is, is useful. What would be nice is that we have respite providing, right? That where it's like where, where it might, where, you know, residential care might be, instead of having residential care, we have respite, you know, where there's a period of time where these children can jump in and, and get these things. Um, so, um, and that's a topic for another thing because I have some thoughts on all on, on that as well. Um, so I think Holly, maybe going down to the last question, unless either one, any one of you, of, of you want to uh, jump in and add on to what I've just said. 
Yeah. So based on the stories that you guys have shared with us today, I think it would be important to share what are your fears about either that you've already experienced or Samantha um, fears that you have coming up for when your child is returning home from a stay in residential treatment? What are some of the concerns, fears that you have had or, or do have about their return? I would say that our, our biggest fear and, and concern is that she, through, through no fault of her own, the, the trauma that she threw on the rest of us um, within the home. And, and all of my children, all but one of my children are, are adopted. And they, so they all come with their own, own baggage, their own traumas. Um, we have boys that are um, attached very well and have done really well. Um, and then we have her and we have one other that are, are rad. And my, my concern is right now, we have found a stability within the home. Um, things are calm here. Um, we found our new normal and we, we've seen our oldest son who always stayed in his room. He was antisocial because he, he said he didn't wanna come out and just deal with all the junk that was going on in the home with the screaming and the yelling that his sister was doing. So he is since he's, he comes out, he's involved with the family, he's laughing, he's um, showing interest in the rest of the family. Um, he's progressing in his own therapies and it's been incredible watching his growth. And my fear is that when his sister comes home, he's going to retreat. Um, I think she'll honeymoon for a while. And then my fear is that it's all gonna unravel. And then as far as our two, two little ones, they're, they're seeing mom and dad relaxed for the first time. They came into our home um, just a few years ago with, with a sister that was in trauma and they, they've never known any different. So right now they're seeing relaxed mom and dad um, parenting that is working for everybody. And, and it just feels normal. My, my 12 year old keeps saying things just feel normal. And, and I fear that that will go away when she comes home. I'm hoping that she can keep a grasp of some of the skills that she's learning. Um, I'm not exactly sure how long it'll last. Um, my, my hope is that it'll last longer than um, just, yeah, just, just hoping it'll last for at least a little while and um, kind of going from there. I know that eventually we're probably going to be recycling and redoing this again with another facility or another acute facility. And, and that, that scares me. Um, so, yeah, we, um, we were the, obviously the, our biggest fear was that this was our last, this was the only option we thought we had when our daughter went to residential in we were worried that things would just go back to the way they were, which is what Sam, I think was saying, one of her concerns is. Um, and also just as she was saying too, you know, you enjoy some respite as a family and kind of um, repairing and having time on relationships you didn't have before and, and losing that. Um, but where our daughter went, they worked with our entire family. We worked on those things while she was there. Um, and by the time she graduated, uh, she came home and uh, we 
obviously had some incidents and things, but what we noticed was uh, when things escalated, they went back, came back down much quicker. We had better tools for dealing with the behaviors and she had developed some tools as well. And then just working with um, Tracy too, because it she left as a 17 year old and came home as a 18 year old. So making that transition between living at home and then she's in her mind, a young adult who should be completely independent. So what, what changes in the parent child relationship in a typical one, and then you add all this complexity with a child that's just come out of residential. So helping us bridge that new, you know, period milestones or what have you. But for us, we've, we generally have had success and there's been improvement and um, we've, we've been happy, we've been happy with the direction we're going in. Great. Great. Nicole, anything you'd like to add? Cause you've been through this multiple times. Just trying to think of what would be most helpful to the listeners. But um, I, the question that you ask about fears, I will say six of the times I wasn't working out of fear. Um, that last transition between the last two treatment centers, um, it was it was definitely a large factor in um, in making the decision. Um, so, but thinking about the first, you know. My comment when I get the first time I got the call that we're moving towards discharge, right, at 11 years old, um, was the the home life isn't ready. Um, uh, as Tracy was saying, like you, you have to you have to get right in on that time and do the work. And I had even sort of, you know, written poetically like if we don't rebuild this foundation, um, we're just gonna even if it's really successful and it wasn't, you know, uh, in, in his treatments, but even if it is, it's just gonna kind of like be trying to rebuild um, the facade. So um, so I knew and, and that call was sort of like, what happens if this, you know, this home isn't ready? And, and it turned into then a split in the home very shortly thereafter. Um, so, uh, so that would be a concern, like is the, is the whole whoever's in the home, parents, um, siblings, you know, are, are they all in their own treatment and in collective treatment all during this? Are we all doing it? Are we all participating in the, uh, not just the required residential treatment, parent participation, but all, of, all that that happens. So, um, you know, I won't take you through each one, but uh, the, the, the next locked facility that we, came home from was, um, it was a fairly abrupt, you know, he was making progress and then not, and then a fairly abrupt insurance um, stop. And, and we, but we had 24 hours to work with the therapist to say like, we're not gonna say, hey, you get to go home because you're not making progress, right? Like we're gonna point out the progress points we have made and we're gonna go into partial day treatment. Um, so, so just that this would be helpful if you can find the right, you know, uh, maybe people's fear would be, what do we do next? We just go back to the same therapist, the same psychiatrist. Yes. And like, keep all of your team that you had before, even if you thought they were not helpful, um, because the reality is they probably were very helpful and we probably were just dealing with a difficult thing, but bring in the specialist. So we found a day treatment that they, they said wisely, he can come here. Uh, three days a week, not five days a week and not for six hours because he's just going to run. Um, and only if we link up to a rad professional. 
So they were willing to have their therapy team be connected to this consultant. And that was going to go so well until it didn't for us because two weeks in, things were just already so violent that um, that, that acute hospitalizations were there and back-to-back those and that treatment program said we can't do it. But I think that that's the thing. Am I going to, the question or the fear might be, am I going to have the support to return in in slow uh, kind of scaffolded steps and the answer would be if you don't have those, you know, someone with complex trauma understanding, someone with developmental trauma understanding, someone who gets attachment disorder connected to trauma, um, actually informing the school, if you're working with the school, the day treatment, the psychiatrist, all of them. Um, and that's hard to find. Um, there are They are there. Tracy's one of them. Um, and, and there's many more uh, that, that you can find. But what's harder to find is the programs that will say like, yeah, and we'll listen to their expertise. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll modify a bit. So we did find one, but then he couldn't modify fast enough. So yeah. Tracy, any final thoughts before we close out this episode? Um. That's a good question. I think my final thoughts are, I think the more that we call more that, I think the more that we hear these stories and, and recognize that you're not alone, that, that any, you know, any child can, any situation create chaos in the family and we have to address it, right? Um, even, even if you feel like, oh, I should be able to handle this. It's like, that's not, that's not how it works because it, 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 the support is needed there. Right, it, like it takes a village to raise a, a, a child, and so you know, reach out, you know, reach out, and let's continue to hold residential treatment programs accountable. Um, let's try to hold insurance companies accountable. I know it's a big dream; it's a it's a big you know far fetched, but I think if we start small, we can we, we can you know chip away at it. So thank you, ladies, for sharing your story. It's it's really good to hear them. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you everybody for joining us today for another episode of the RAD Reactive Attachment Disorder Parenting Podcast. Uh, This has been brought to you by Full Circle Family Counseling based out of Pittsburgh, North Carolina. You can reach us online at fullcirclefamilycounseling.com. As always, we welcome your comments, feedback, suggestions for an upcoming episode. You can email us at rad at fullcirclefamilycounseling.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time.